This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. I think people understand that there might need to be redactions when you're dealing with sensitive topics, but what the FBI and Department of Justice have done over the course of the last year is redact things time and time again that were not national security issues, but were things that were embarrassing to the FBI or DOJ. I know this is a very bad period for the FBI, but the best the best disinfectant is sunlight, and we all need to know what we were dealing with so we can make sure that we don't have these kinds of mishandling of politicized probes ever again. So I hope they don't redact too much. Yeah. Well, hoping isn't going to get it done. The redactions are going to continue because no one wants to be the owner of all of this really embarrassing uh, information, including the FBI. And it's really disappointing because it, it's, pain, it's making the whole bureau look bad when really it's a few people who were obsessed with a singular political outcome and they've, they've just tank the whole party for everybody. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Stacey on the right.com is a website. And you were just listening to Molly Hemingway talking about the FBI redactions. Okay. Um, so now I want to listen to the president. So you've got a supporter of the president. I mean, Newt Gingrich has, can be pretty critical of president Trump, but he also is, is uh, a supporter. And he was asked about his previous comments on getting rid of the white house press briefing. And this is interesting because Really, he makes a lot of sense here uh, about the need for the briefings or the lack thereof. It's number seven. You know, Speaker, there has been talk recently about whether we even need White House press briefings every day, um, that maybe some of them should be in an office and not all televised because it looks like some of the reporters might be doing a little grandstanding. I can't even imagine that. Look, I, I advocated at the very beginning of this administration that they just get rid of the whole thing. Really? Yeah. I Not said, even do it off the record. Of course, I was no, no, dripping no, with sarcasm no, no, when no, I said no, no, I but, couldn't imagine but here, Here's what I mean when I say you're the whole thing. You have a relatively small number of reporters who are important because they're in the White House. And they're very precious. And they sit around and talk with each other all day. And deep down, they resent the fact that they're voyeurs. They're at the beck and call of the Has president. Has this always existed or just it's, now? It's, it's, exi- no, it's existed for at least, I think, since Kennedy. So, I, but it, isn't it, that it, important, it was, the, it was the rise of television. And my point was just, you know, there are a thousand ways to communicate with the American people. You don't owe the American people having 50 or 60 people. I mean, you have three or four clowns who insist on getting in fights with her. And they're only important because they get in fights with her. So... He's talking about the people who make it their business to really there. It's almost a persecution complex for Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And when she she strikes back against them, they always say, oh, that's not true. Um, well, we, we don't have anything against you. We just want you to answer our questions. What they're saying is we want you to give us the answers we're looking for. You're horrible. He's horrible. Give us the answers that we deserve. Give us the answers that uh, make sense to what the narrative that, that we're spinning. That's what we want. And if they get an idea in their minds that the president has done or said something and they go to her with a question about it and she doesn't give them the answer they want, they just decide, well, we'll just keep asking her about this because she's lying. Now, there have been some notable instances where, you know, there's been something inaccurate that she's shared based on what she's been told. And they seem to want to hold her accountable for it as if to say, you know, He made a mistake, but you're going to be the one. We're going to get you. We're going to string you up and put you out there on blast. We're going to burn you at the stake because you work for him. 
And if you don't want us to do that to you, then quit. Put somebody else up there so we can do the same thing to them. They're like rabid beasts. And it's unacceptable to me. Uh, And one prime example of what has been going on with these media types is Brian Stelter, who, you know, if you really follow Brian Stelter closely, he seems like he's he like he's a decent guy. He's married. They have a baby. Uh, He's you know, he's obviously on the left, but he'll often offer pretty thoughtful commentary on on topics. So it's it's not as if you can't see the humanity there. But he recently took off after President Trump's wife, the first lady of the United States, Melania, for not being visible. So she hadn't been visible at a public event for over 20 days. I believe it was 25 or 26 days. And so he put a little calendar up with red. uh, They look like red ticket stubs on them. And, you know, it was all the days they hadn't seen her in a row. And he said, what does it mean? You know, we... It's a meaningful question. People are worried and interested. Well, she had some kind of benign uh, kidney surgery and that was announced and that she was at Walter Reed and she stayed there for five days. And then she came out of that and she's at the White House. That's where they reported that she came from Walter Reed to the White House. And then she just didn't do any public events. Now, a lot of people have come on Twitter after he posted that image and said, dude, my cousin had that. My sister had that. I had that same embolism surgery, the the surgery for the kidneys. And it actually knocked me out. And I was out for a few weeks, you know. So whether or not she was recuperating for all of the 26 days or not. Is kind of irrelevant. She had a surgery and she wasn't in the public eye. And there is no requirement for her to be seen publicly anyway. There were many times where I hadn't seen or heard anything from Michelle Obama. And I never thought that Barack Obama was abusing her. And it never occurred to me to keep a running tab of how many days she was out of the public eye. I just assumed as a wife and a mom that if she was out of the public eye for three or four days or whatever it was, that was her business. I was really only concerned with what President Obama was doing. Aside from that disastrous, uh, you know, school lunch thing, it really wasn't like I, I just did not. It wasn't a concern. And so I was disappointed to see the tweet from Brian Stelter and the surrounding like there were people who were tweeting the president. Did you beat her? Did you kick her in the back? You know, come on. And yes, I'm equal opportunity in defending the first ladies of the United States, whether they're Democrats or Republicans when their private lives and their personal appearance and their personal attributes are attacked. Um, I just think it's wrong. So anyway, now we're going to pivot over to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Say that 10 times fast. Remember, that's Elizabeth Focahontas Warren's favorite uh, accomplishment. She stood that agency up. And you've got Mick Mulvaney, who has really been having a good time pointing out how the Democrats desire to set up an unaccountable bureaucracy to do their bidding has really bitten them since now the shoes on the other foot and the Republicans are in charge. 
Now, I am one of the first people to say that as soon as that agency was created, I added that to a list of things that I felt like a Republican president should dismantle, not reduce, not restaff, but dismantle the same way that I expected and still do expect President Trump to dismantle Obamacare. Now, he hasn't done that. He has eliminated the individual mandate, but the rules and regulations and system of laws that enable Obamacare to still be a thing, those still exist. And those are the things that we want to see repealed, not replaced, but eliminated. So when we're talking about the uh, CFPB, he could have just killed it last year, honestly, but he didn't. He put Mick Mulvaney on it. Mick Mulvaney is the acting director. And uh, there's a 25 member advisory board. And Mick Mulvaney let them all go. He was like, see ya. So Mick Mulvaney has said that he's going to basically, through the CFPB, revamp the Consumer Advisory Board, known as the CAB, in the fall with all new members. Now, the panel traditionally played this uh, influential role in advising CFPB leadership. They suggest new regulations. They suggest new policies. But some of the members who are prominent consumer advocates, academics, industry executives, began to complain very publicly that Mulvaney was ignoring them and making unwise decisions about the agency since he took over as acting director. Eleven of the board members held a news conference and criticized Mulvaney for canceling the legally required meetings with the group. So two days later on Wednesday, group members were notified that they were being replaced and that they could not reapply for the spots on the new board. The agency spokesman, whose name is John Swartaki, took a final swipe at the group. Here's his quote. The outspoken members of the Consumer Advisory Board seem more concerned about protecting their taxpayer-funded junkets to Washington, D.C. and being wined and dined by the Bureau than protecting consumers. So they are going to hold more town halls, more roundtable discussions, and the new Consumer Advisory Board will have fewer members. Now, Democrats are, you know, obviously incensed. This is their agency their baby. They liked having their same board members on there, having all of the board members from before tossed off, you know, after they've been making a stink is so totally unacceptable. So Senator Elizabeth Warren weighed in, Sherrod Brown weighed in, you know, and that's fine. That's fine. But what I'd like to see is the elimination of the rogue independent agency called the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. It's not accountable to voters. It has no oversight by Congress, and it should be eliminated. And I I mean, no kidding. This is one of those no-brainers, something easy to do that would lower government and make, make government more efficient. And it goes along with what President Trump has already been doing, which is cutting federal payroll. So, so far since he's become president, he has reduced federal payroll by 24,000 jobs in May, 3000 jobs were cut and federal employment dropped by 24,000 since the, the uh, beginning of the, the Trump presidency. And that is information that was released by the Bureau of labor statistics. 
overall employment in the private sector is increasing, as was employment in state and local governments, but federal employment is on the decline. So in April, there were 2,789,000 people employed in civilian federal government jobs. And in December, the month before Trump took office, there were 2,810,000 civilians employed in the federal government. And that is now dropped by 24,000. So, you know, they have some other numbers here, but suffice it to say, we want to see more of that. So am I saying I don't think that people should have jobs? No, I think we should have fewer federal government jobs. That's what I'm saying. We need fewer federal government jobs. The federal government should be lean, mean, efficient, and singularly focused on constitutionally mandated activities. The rest of it should be in the private sector. And the reason is because the private sector holds employees accountable. And when they don't perform, they have consequences. That is something that the federal government is just egregiously in the wrong on. And we need less of that. We need more accountability. So uh, I want to give you guys heads up about the conference. We have the Urban Family Talk conference that's August 17th and 18th in Tupelo. And that is going to be a fantastic event. You, you are gonna, you're going to want to register for that and join us. We have wonderful speakers, Ryan Bomberger, Will and Miki Addison, Hamilton Corners host, Abraham Hamilton III, Lonnie Poindexter, uh, Pastor Joseph Parker. So many great speakers are going to be there and we're excited about it. And so $35 to register. I think the table registration is still at $50. So you can sell your books, whatever you're going to, whatever you have. Um, so think about joining us there. We'd love to see you. Love to meet you and shake your hand. Hi, I'm Will Addison. And I'm Miki Addison of Aaron the Addisons on Urban Family Talk. Family is so important to everything. I mean, think about it. Right after God created Adam, he made family by creating Eve as his wife. We'd like to invite you to the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference this summer. We have a full slate of experts to help encourage and equip the body of Christ to fight for the restoration of the family. Our speakers include Ryan Bomberger of the Radiance Foundation, Dr. Clarence Schuler of Building Lasting Relationships, Abraham Hamilton III, Pastor Burt Harper and his wife Jan, and more. We'll even be there. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference will be Friday and Saturday, August 17th and 18th at Hope Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Come help us fight back against the enemy's direct attack on marriage and family. That's the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference put on by Urban Family Communications, a division of the American Family Association. You can learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Hi, I'm Will Addison, and we are partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to save babies' lives through ultrasound. Here's how a nurse describes the power of an ultrasound. Last week, just one example of a mom who came in was very abortion-minded, and when she saw the picture of her baby on ultrasound and heard that beating heart, it was a defining moment that just broke her, and she said, I just can't allow this baby to be killed. By letting a mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see her baby in the womb, she will choose life 80% of the time. I cannot tell you how many times a baby's life is saved through ultrasound. It's just an incredible tool. Underwrite a free ultrasound and help save a baby's life. Go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com 
or dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. All gifts are tax deductible. Your love can save a life. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Adopting children has made Psalm 139 come alive to Tony and me. Verses 15 and 16 say, You watched me as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. We've kept those verses in our heart for many years. We know God has created all of our children for His glory and for them to be a part of our family. And God knew before they were born that He would lend them to us to love and care for them here on earth. If you're considering adopting a child, read Psalm 139 and ask God to show you His plan. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Here's Steve Tiber. Eight Days of Hope started after Hurricane Katrina, helping people in Bay St. Louis, Waveland, Mississippi, rebuild their homes back in 2005. Since then, this faith-based ministry has gone nationwide, and we've helped out dozens of cities, dozens of areas of the country after hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, or even snowstorms. And now you get a chance to be a difference maker. Eight Days of Hope 16. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus down in Houston from October 13th to October 20th. You can come for as little as three days or stay all eight days. We provide the food and lodging. We're looking for skilled professional and people like me who are less skilled and just want to give back. For more information, go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. Click on the event, 8 Days of Hope 16. Read the FAQs and learn more about how you can make a difference with 8 Days of Hope. Learn more and sign up to be a part of 8 Days of Hope 16 in Houston, Texas at 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome back to the program. It's good to be with you and fantastic to have our next guest on the program to talk about the jobs numbers and so much more. Um, 12th Sergeant Major of the Army, Jack Tilly, thank you so much for joining us today and, and thank you for your service, sir. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, so let's talk about the... Jobs numbers, which obviously were stunning in there. It was kind of a, a better number than what was expected. Definitely a surprise that left wing media was not really wanting to cover. They begrudgingly gave, you know, credit where credit was due. But there's more to this story. Absolutely. You know, nearly uh, 33% of our veterans in the workforce are unemployed in that. Unfortunately, about 20% of them only make like $15 or less an hour. Uh, and the majority of them uh, are over 40 years old. So when you start looking at things like that and the qualifications that most of those veterans have, when you look at, uh, you know, I'm just listening to your, when you're talking a minute ago about being a carpenter, computer, all the other stuff that you, you learn in the military, that it's sort of a shame that we can't find them uh, better paying jobs. Sure. And so we have, you know, our country's veterans that when they were on active duty, they're leaders. And that's kind of a unique um, difference to a lot of jobs that you might find where you don't really have anything to do in a leadership capacity. But in the military, even someone who's enlisted and kind of at the bottom of the totem pole will have some leadership responsibilities. So they come out with leadership abilities. They have they know how to lead. 
but they're also coming out with unconventional backgrounds that they have to try to correlate to, you know, a civilian job um, that doesn't have the same description, but they can easily step into because they're very trainable. Well, they're they're uh, they're motivated, and they understand exactly about it's it's about working as a team. You know, that's what people are looking for. Somebody that sort of blends it with the team, understands what the mission is, can can accomplish the mission, and and needs very little direction. And there, and I've just listened to uh, your article that you just talked a minute ago about trust. Uh, they're trust, they're trustworthy. They're loyal. They're dedicated. They're motivated to do exactly what any employer wants them to do. The other thing is, is the is the family. You know, we always talk about the family in the military. The family is a part of every job that you go into. So, uh, you know, I think the biggest problem that you have now in our country is most people, because of post traumatic stress, are sort of hard to are sort of uh, nervous sometimes. I think to talk to veterans. Uh, because they're concerned about uh, PTSD or PTS, I guess they call it now. But uh, uh, there's no problem. If you hire a veteran, you're getting a qualified person and a motivated person. Yeah, and and one of the things I want to point out uh, about the the PTS is that uh, a trigger for PTS can be an unsuccessful uh, transition into civilian life. So if a veteran has a job and is gainfully employed and a part of a work community, they are much less likely to experience the onset of PTS than they would be if they were unemployed, struggling, you know, working through homelessness, um, you know, unable to support themselves or their family. I mean, it's it's really a job is kind of a um, it's a safety mechanism against onset of PTS. Oh, absolutely. You know, I suffered from post-traumatic stress been over 40 years ago in Vietnam, but I was overran 207 killed and there's still things that... Uh, and that I can't talk about it'll make me cry. It doesn't take away from my job. You know, I'm a small business owner. In fact, I own two small businesses. And it doesn't take away from anything. But uh, there's things that I just have to be careful with. And there's a lot of people out there. If, they're, if they do have uh, problems like that, they'll talk to other veterans. And they'll work through the issues. So I wanted to uh, stress, because I, I didn't have, we, we were able to get you on at the last minute, and thank you so much for responding to our oh, request. Oh, that's okay. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. So we have, um, you're, you're a member of the New Day Five, each a man who achieved the top enlisted rank in his respected branch of military service. And your company is New Day USA, and you're working to provide financial services to veterans Basically, you're you're trying to to not only facilitate that transition, but to make it a possibility that all of our veterans who are so highly skilled can be gainfully employed after they separate from the service. Absolutely, uh, there's no question. You know, New Day uh, really helps people get homes. Uh, they they really help veterans sort of that are financially strapped that uh, that really have a bunch of issues. They work with them and try to. You know, everybody, their dream is to have a home. And New Day, that's what they do. They try to help people attain that dream uh, and to get a home. So, you know, I was a, uh, a Vietnam I was a Vietnam veteran. I remember coming back in Vietnam, and when you came back, you were sort of bastardized. Nobody really wanted to talk to you. Nobody wanted to do it. And they certainly didn't want to help you. And you start looking back at, uh, at a lot of the Vietnam veterans that came back there. A lot of them are pretty senior now, and I'm not sure how many of them are working, but... Uh, but that that was a, just a, a terrible war. But but veterans need help, and veterans need people to, to to help them get a home or help them financially one way or the other. They, they don't need a 
veterans aren't working, looking for somebody to give them a hand up. They, they can do exactly what you want them to do. They just want a chance to, to, uh, to have a job, and that's all it is. So talk a little bit more about what New Day does. Um, I have the website up here, but I, I'm, I'm really fascinated with what you guys are able to do for veterans as they're, they're making that transition and then afterwards. Well, really, the key to that, well, you know, a lot of people like, uh, a lot of people talk about helping veterans, and New Day doesn't talk about it. They help veterans. They help veterans get into a home. Unfortunately, there's some veterans that, that are just really scrapped on uh, financially and don't have the, uh, the money that it takes to get a home. And so New Day assists them in, in working through those issues financially to get a home. That's what New Day does. And they help as many veterans as they can uh, every year, that's for sure. Not just the veterans, but also the families. So now let's let's get back to the jobs because these numbers are so stunning. They're so outstanding. And it's not just overall, but in individual categories that they track, such as African-American employment, we're talking about all of the numbers being simply stellar, almost too good to describe was what one news organization said, which that is high praise coming from a media that normally is arrayed against President Trump and his administration. People have to admit that the tax cut package coupled with the deregulation efforts, uh, you know, uh, across the board have really primed the, the economy for uh, job creation, for small businesses, for large corporations, the sharing of bonuses. And now we're looking at the creation of many, many jobs. When I even heard the words full employment, like that something we never hear that those words were spoken many, many times since the report on Friday. Yeah, I think it's a bunch of, I think it's a bunch of things. One is I think uh, the military. I, I talked about coming out of Vietnam. Uh, coming out of Vietnam, when you come out of Vietnam, you process out and you got out of the service. Nobody nobody helped you find a job. Uh, now they have a process they call TAPS. Uh, is they really start about two years out as far as preparing you to get out of the service. I think that's one of the biggest things. So. Uh, that uh, the military is going to sort of assist the people. And I think our country is a little more uh, motivated about helping veterans, about looking for veterans. And once they hire a veteran, uh, it's like anything else. They can't believe what they can do in their in their jobs and stuff like that. So I think it's a, a series of things. Where there's a tremendous focus on veterans. Uh, there's a tremendous focus on, uh, on the military about helping our veterans. I tell you the ones I really worry about is, and we haven't talked much about them, you know, during a, during the war, we had about, I think it was close to, oh, I don't know, 60,000 wounded and, and uh, about thirty or 40,000 or maybe 50,000 killed. Uh, and I worry about the families uh, of those wounded warriors that may not be able to find employment to assist uh, their wounded veteran. Uh, that's, that's probably the people we ought to, we ought to take a harder look at uh, how we're doing in that area, that's for sure. Absolutely. Um, so I'm just... I get I get excited about the prospect of people being out there and being able to because when when you have a job, you have the ability to create a work history that enables you to move up. So, you mm-hmm. know, going from being unemployed to being employed, it, it's for some people, it's just like, oh, you know, just get a job. But it's a huge first step because once you're employed, now you're creating work history, you're creating you know a reference, a relationship with someone that might down the road be integral to you getting that next position, but mainly just the act of being able to get up and go that, you know, five days a week or whatever shift you're working, getting in there and making that, that commitment, doing it every day as people have done so many times with, you know, when you're on active duty in the military, you're, it's almost like rote, you get up in the morning, 
you do your routine, you go into work and it, it's, it's ingrained in you. And so for someone who's out of the military to be able to get back into that situation, be, to be working again, it's almost like coming home because I, I remember on active duty, it got to the point where it was always, I got up at the same time, brush my teeth, put on my uniform, head down to the chow hall. I ate my chow hall breakfast. And then I was carpooling with someone to work and we would ride to work together. It was the same routine, 3.30 every day. Are you getting off on time? Was you, you on active duty? Yeah, I was on, I was in the Air Force. And so I, I lived on base in the dorm and it was just but I rode to work with the same person every day. That person lived around the corner from me in the dorm. We would meet at the same spot, take the stairs down, eat at the chow hall, go to work. I mean, just it's it's like a routine that you can you can set your clock by it. You knew at 703 we were walking down to the car from the chow hall <laughs> <laughs> to ride over to work. Well, it, yeah, no, no. I, uh, how many years did you stay in the service? I don't know. Just one, oh, one tour. I was enlisted and I stayed in for one tour and then I joined my husband here in the Midwest. Well, I tell you, I stayed 36 years and you're exactly right. I'm a routine kind of guy. I mean, you, you get up, you do your PT and physical training, and then you go to work. And then you come home with six or so. So I'm, I did that for so many years. And, and for somebody like you that uh, stayed one, tr- uh, one tour in the service, thank you for your service. But uh, it's a little easier to transition out of the service. Now, if you have a person that stays 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and, and a guy like me, 36 years, it's a tremendous change in your lifestyle when you get out of the service. I mean, it, it takes is. you – I think it probably took me – uh, over a year just to sort of uh, to, to sort of fit in a little bit more. That's why I opened up my own business because I, <laughs> I it was just a little difficult to fit in. So I said, well, I know I have to do this stuff. I can make it happen. So if that yeah. makes sense to you. Yeah. But if, That's if, the way to do if, it. If, if you've been yeah. in a while, it's like you either go work for the federal government because it's similar enough or open yeah. your own business where you can set it up so it's similar enough for you to be able to survive without, you know, it's kind of, the, the routine in the civilian world is it can be just as regimented, but it is different. It's definitely oh. uh, a different atmosphere. And the responsiveness of people in the civilian world is, you know, it's as varied as the day is long. Where in the military, there's a certain level of responsiveness and just everything is there's an expectation. And you know what those expectations are and everyone's operating within them. And people who can't operate within the expectations don't. They don't last very long in the military, but people who can no, no, no. do, it, it, you know. Exactly right. It, yeah. It, that was one of the hardest things for me to adjust to because I'm used to you give me a problem. I know the solution. I'm going to get it done now. Uh, but in the civilian market, it, it, it takes just a little bit longer to get it, it done and accomplish. And to just I almost pull my hair out when I do stuff There's like a lot that. more but talking. <laughs> but you have to adjust. I mean, that's just the way life is. Yeah. And, and we do. But I, I'm, I'm just excited because I think... With you all coming out, you know, being a New Day Five member and going out and putting this information out in front of the public, I think there are people out there who own businesses, especially for small business owners. I encourage you, you know, listen to what um, Sergeant Major Tilly is talking about here about the the there's excellent work stock in uh, veterans. And so if it's a one tour person like I was or someone who's been in for a long period of time, you're going to get an amazing amount of work out of a person who's used to being on active duty and working for the, for, for the armed forces. You're going to really, it's a gamble that's worth taking. And in doing so, you're really honoring our country by employing veterans. And 
just doing your part to kind of contribute because not everybody is called to go into the military. Uh, but those no, who have I'm, businesses can definitely employ our, our veterans who are coming out of the service. Well, I, I, I wish I could have said as good as you did, Steve. I mean, uh, it, there's so much there, and the veterans offer you so much. Uh, people, small business, large businesses, got to take a chance. If they're not hiring uh, 15 or 20 percent of the companies, not veterans, they're, they're missing something. That's for Don mm-hmm. Sure. Missing out, missing out for sure. Well, yeah, thank you absolutely. for your time today. You, it, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Great to celebrate good news about the economy and also uh, what New Day USA is doing for veterans and what the New Day Five, the, the group of gentlemen, h- highest uh, level of rank achieved in the enlisted services and in your respective uh, branches. Wonderful to have you on today. Um, have a great week. Hey, thanks, Stacey. And, and remember, New Day just doesn't talk about it. They do it. Absolutely. All right. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you for coming on. Um, So uh, full disclosure, he is out of the army. He was the 12th Sergeant Major of the army. And my dad, my granddad and my great granddad were army. But my dad recommended that I go in the Air Force because the Air Force has better facilities. And as you heard him say, part of his morning routine was PT, physical training. And so on active duty in the army, uh, the, the, the soldiers do PT together. Um, So they do it every morning at the same time and they do it together. Rain or shine, snow, whatever, they do it together. On active duty in the Air Force, you have a gym, a fancy, posh, you know, like think Planet Fitness meets Wellbridge. And it's on base and you go there and work out on your own time whenever you feel like it, as long as you can pass your physical fitness exam. And the physical fitness exam, when I was on active duty was uh, you had like, Twice a year, you would just head over to um, the actual gym on base and you would meet someone there and you have to run on a machine and it got a whole bunch of things hooked up to you to measure your heart rate and your, they take your body fat measurement, they do all that, they weigh you, take your height, and then you run on this machine or you could choose to ride the bike for a certain number of minutes and basically they increase the resistance or the incline and resistance on the treadmill or the bike until they reach the benchmark and they're measuring your heart rate and everything. And they can tell if you're physically fit. Now, if you've gained weight in between the six months since your last checkup, or you can't meet the benchmark, then they would put you on. You have to be here at the gym this many times a week and you have to sign in and you have to show us that you're working out. And then we're going to reevaluate you in 30 days or three months or whatever. Um, So it's much more like civilian, uh, you know, how civilians just go to the gym whenever they feel like it. So it was interesting to hear him talking about PT because I remember my dad would get up and get out of the house by 5.30 every morning because he would lead his company in PT. Good times. Anyway, we'll be back with more Stacey on the right right after this. a million believers have signed the pledge to boycott Target, and we urge you to join them. The American Family Association opposes the policy of Target allowing transgenders into the bathroom of their choice. Here's AFA President Tim Wildman. There's a reason why we've had male and female separation in restrooms and fitting rooms for all of mankind's history. A policy which allows men into women's restrooms and fitting rooms is not right, nor is it safe. I think the human resources departments 
of these major corporations are the tail wagging the dog because I just can't see corporate executives at Target or anywhere else sitting around a table going, you know, guys, I think we need to uh, open up our women's restrooms for men. Visit AFA.net to learn more and sign the pledge to boycott Target. Don't spend your money at Target until they stop putting our family members at risk with this dangerous, politically correct policy. That's AFA.net. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. Who is today's urban woman? Today's urban woman is about empowering herself, empowering her family to empower our future. We have a wealth of opportunities here in America. There are no excuses. Everyone should be able to empower themselves, educate themselves, and be stewards of our society. Today's urban woman, here to stay, and we're moving forward, never looking backward. I'm Deneen Borelli, and I am today's urban woman. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Screaming children, angry adults, chain link fencing. The images projected across national media right now are disturbing unless you know the truth. Illegal aliens who enter the country with minors who are not their children are routinely separated and have been for decades. This law protects minors and is not new. Democrats are orchestrating this issue to motivate their base for the midterms. Gun control has fizzled out. The race card is tattered and useless. The NFL protests have destroyed their brand and left advertisers scrambling. Meanwhile, the Trump agenda is rewarding hardworking Americans with lower taxes, less regulations, and peace through strength. So what's really going on? Trafficking innocent children into the U.S. has increased by over 600% and it has to stop. True asylum seekers enter through one of our ports of entry. Immigration officials are protecting minors in temporary custody from human trafficking and abuse. This isn't a new problem, but it's one Congress must solve now. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. But I think most Americans would agree that we could use some reform. For instance, ICE targeting individuals who haven't done anything wrong, who are just, you know, housekeepers or working at restaurants. Those are individuals who are working their hardest to become a part of the American dream. And so abolishing ICE isn't realistic and it doesn't make any sense. So uh, welcome back to the show. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. UrbanFamilyTalk.com is the website where you can go. Um, okay, so listen, um, I'm not sure at what point the Democrats have gotten so far away from reality that it's okay to say you want to abolish ICE. But one of the things that ICE does is they stop drug traffickers. They stop drugs from coming into the country illegally. And in just one year, in 2016, they confiscated three times as much drugs from smugglers as was previously confiscated in one year. They did that in all of 2016. You can also go on to a number of different government websites and find out the other enforcement activities that Immigration and Customs Enforcement takes care of. They're not just solely concerned with our southern border. 
ICE stops drug trafficking at our ports. They arrest individuals who are in the country illegally who've flown here, who are or, uh, participating in organized crime. crime. And they also work to, strap, work to stop human trafficking. Pardon me. So you've got all of that going on. And the Democrats want to abolish the agency over one issue, which is the southern border. Wouldn't it be simpler for us instead of abolishing ICE? And I'm a small government girl. You Come on. You know, I'm right here over here with you. If you want to start talking about agencies we should get rid of, it's the Department of Education is where we should start. Education should be remanded back to the individual states so that we can have that experimentation and competition that will improve educational outcomes for K through 12 students across the country. That being said, ICE is not the agency that we need to be getting rid of. Can things be streamlined? Can things be worked out? Absolutely. That's what the governmental reorganization that you see from President Trump. He wants to reorganize government. He wants to put agencies back in line with what their mission statements are. He wants to eliminate duplication. He wants to move uh, things that are going on in one agency over to uh, the agency that's more appropriate for the, the workforce and the mission. But I, I just abolish ICE. Stop the individuals who actually protect our country. Uh, human trafficking. We're talking about people who are slaves in the modern era. That's something that when I was a kid, I was under the impression that slavery had ended, that around the world, there were no more slaves. I mean, you kind of get the impression that America was the last country to ever have legalized slavery. And we, we were, you know, kind of late to the game getting rid of it, but we had a civil war to get rid of it. And we did. And it is illegal to hold a person against their will in this country. It's a federal offense. So it's just kind of crazy. I just, I just want people to start acting like they understand how wonderful it is that we get to live here and that we even have the government and the money coming into the government. We collect a record amount of taxes every year to fund our government. And part of the government that we're funding is going to protect our borders, to protect American citizens and to keep these illegal drugs out of the country. So let's talk about something having to do with that. Um, And obviously, it's a compare and contrast type of a thing. But I believe you have to dance with the one who brung you. And I know that's not proper English, but you understand the saying that that I'm referring to. You have to know who buttered that bread. It was it was it you or did you need you know, did you need a little assistance with that? And as far as protecting the border, we Americans need our government to do that. And that's something that is remanded to the federal government in the Constitution. The protection of the homeland, the securing of the border, the maintenance of our national sovereignty. Those are all constitutionally federal responsibilities. Let's look, uh, let's look a little bit outside our country, but not too, too far away. So you've got U.S. citizens, some of them students who are in Haiti doing relief efforts, And now got continuing demonstrations, roadblocks and violence across Port-au-Prince and throughout Haiti. Violence and ongoing protests in the capital. So it's dangerous there. Now, you might be thinking, well, why? Why does that matter, Stacey? I mean, you know, they've had protests before. They've had violent uprisings before because people want to bring that same kind of behavior here to this country. It's not enough to just protest. It's not enough to vote. It's not enough to go organize and phone bank and make phone calls. Now we have to have violent uprisings here in America. If you listen to what some of these more radical Democrats are proposing, it's that we run around violently confronting people and just being 
absolutely demonic towards each other so we can replicate this kind of third world type situation here in America. We should be against that. There should be no way any American should want to participate in that kind of behavior. If, if you're on the left and you're sitting in a meeting or you're someplace and people are organizing and they start talking about, well, we're going we're gonna, to you know, corner this person. They eat here regularly. We're going to corner them or we're going to approach this person at their home. We're going to approach their family members. We know where their wife works or, you know, we're going to, we're going to threaten their kids because they don't seem to understand. Now you've gotten outside of political activity and now you're in that kind of, you know, organized crime. But that, 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 that's you guys sitting around organizing together to commit a crime. You should be wary of that. You should be, the minute you hear somebody saying we should, we as a group of people, we should plan to approach an individual and their kids. That should be your red flag. You know what? I'm out of here. Let me know when you guys want to talk about phone banking, knocking on doors, you know, do, doing something that will bring us the results that we want at the ballot box. Because here in America, we have people stationed all over the world, 1.5 million troops wearing our uniforms across the globe, some of them carrying weapons, some of them right now under fire by the enemy, some of them flying in helicopters right now doing missions, some of them embedded in other areas of the country, speaking a foreign language, some of them working as operatives undercover around the world. And you're telling me that those people who are out there writing that check, waiting for it to be cashed, knowing they could come here in a casket draped with the flag, knowing that there's going to be a 21-gun salute and their weeping family members will have to receive that folded flag, and that's all they'll get of their family member besides the limited benefits that our government provides. You're trying to tell me that those people are doing all of that so you can be here at home organizing to turn America into a third world country. If that's you, stop, check yourself, and then maybe you want to book yourself a flight to Haiti. That's where you belong. You don't belong here. This is not that place. It's organized crime. It's illegal. And if you're sitting up plotting on how to take people down at the gas station or at a restaurant, you've gotten it all wrong. We have people stationed abroad supporting and defending the Constitution of the United States. We have airmen right now, soldiers, Marines. We have people coming home in the back of C-130s draped in the flag. We have their family members meeting them at the airport. We have them being buried and put in the ground because they've given the ultimate sacrifice on behalf of this country. And they're not doing that so you can sit around like a crime family member and plot how to take people down in public because of their political views. So again, and I know there are plenty of people who are veterans, who are Democrats, who absolutely don't agree with anything that I have to say. They don't have anything in common with me when it comes to politics, but I know we can agree on that. If you're a veteran, then you know good and well when you were on active duty, you weren't doing what you did. You weren't serving so you could have America turn into some third world country with armed insurrection and coups and violent changes of government. You weren't doing that. You, you weren't serving for that. That's not the Constitution you were working to support and defend. You didn't take that oath for that. And I know that because that's not why I did it. 
So it's time to reassess. And I understand how upsetting it is to be governed by people that you vehemently disagree with. What do you think we were doing with all our little Tea Party rallies and stuff when Barack Obama was elected? That wasn't because we just liked waving flags and sitting out in lawn chairs and getting all those permits. We did that stuff because we didn't like the people in power. We didn't want Obamacare. We didn't want the weak, limp-wristed, limp you know, uh, bowing down and scraping to all of these Middle Eastern leaders. We didn't want somebody who was a community organizer in charge of our government and in charge of the commander in chief over our military. But he was not just elected the first time. He went on to be elected again. And we did not chase people down in the street. We didn't, we didn't accost people in restaurants and try to drive people out of public life. And the reason we didn't do that is because we knew that we could bring the pain at the voter box in the midterms. And so, and we knew we had the better ideas, but we also knew we didn't have people who were in our party who were really, truly conservative. And the proof that we were right about that was that the midterm shellacking that we delivered the first time didn't do anything, didn't do anything. So then we delivered another midterm shellacking, second midterm shellacking, second term of Obama, and nothing happened. And that is why when it came time to choose our nominee the last time, and I, you guys know me, I was late to the Trump train. He was the nominee, and then I jumped on. I was for Ted Cruz. But a lot of other Americans in the Republican Party were definitely all in for Donald Trump because they knew he wasn't a Republican, died in the wool, and taught how to speak and say things that he wouldn't carry through when he got into office. And so at every turn, we had the same... Uh, do you think nobody sat around and said, we ought to go do this, we ought to go do that? You don't think there was a whole lot of chatter on the little online chat rooms where people gather and we're in a militia and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And no, I'm not against militias. I know some people who are in militias and they're amazing people. But we did have fringe elements who tried to, we're going to do some armed insurrection. And you know what happened? The FBI and the CIA investigated those people and some of them were found to not to have done anything but talk big and other ones were prosecuted. But for the most part, we were firm. We used our civic processes. And that's what I'm demanding of my good friends on the other side of the aisle. Use your civic processes and stop trying to run people out of bookstores. So just a couple minutes left here. Let's go to Zach in Mississippi. Zach, thanks for calling into the show. Yes, yes. Stacy. thanks for having me on. Um, sure. Now, uh, my question would be on... Um, not so much a question, but it would be more so of a statement. In regards to uh, illegal immigration, what is rarely spoken about, and it's mind-boggling, it's mind-boggling and almost enraging when everyone's like, oh, my, these the illegals, man, get them out, get them out, get them out. But what's crazy is every time I'm driving home from work, you see a construction site, and guess who is building literally everything, all right? Um, mm -hmm. So long story short, these people are not employing themselves. It's almost mm -hmm. as if we're being hoodwinked. Um, immigrants come and go where that's something that is nearly impossible to start. We've got millions here. More are going to come. But here's the hard part. Here's what the dominant society will not do. 
and it never gets spoken about, and it enrages me. They will never go out against the white men that are employing these illegals, all right? They are locking hard-working Americans out of real jobs, all right, mm-hmm. to benefit the working class, to benefit the elites, all right? They're not going to go to the good old boy sitting in the truck and be like, hey, what are you doing? They're not going to go to the kitchens and be like, hey, what are you doing? So it's almost as if they're using the immigration issue just to stay in power. But they're not going to do anything about it because you can't stop people from coming over. You're not going to do that. But I can tell you what they're not going to do. They're not going to go against the people that are employing them. So it's almost as Mm -hmm. if the viewers, um, the people that are listening to your show, they're being tricked. They're not going to do anything about illegal immigration. And it's hilarious to think about and to witness. Every day driving home from work, or any construction site you see, it's all illegals. So I just want to say You know what, that. Zach? I got I to gotta say, and thank you so much for calling in and for saying that. I absolutely am against the Chamber of Commerce and establishment Republicans, people like uh, Paul Ryan, who want to continue that practice. We need E-Verify. But they're not going to stand with the president on that. That's where the president is really true to his word. He does want E-Verify, which would put a stop to that activity that you're talking about. And it is disenfranchising Americans, specifically minorities, who need those jobs. It's wrong. And I'm going to continue to fight against it. And thank you so much, Zach, for your truth calling into the show today. And so I just caution every one of us, myself included, to not get caught up in the news of the news cycle and the outrage of people being people, because it will make us forget how blessed we are to be here and how much freedom and safety and God-given security we have here in this country. Could it be better? Absolutely. But it's pretty awesome now. Let's not forget that. Our gratitude will go a long way in helping us to get along with each other. All right, that's the show. We have to be wise in these times. We have to be informed, but we also have to be grateful to God. Be back with you tomorrow. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.